Brothers and sisters, have you ever considered how much time we spend waiting on things or people in our life? If you think about it, we spend a lot of time simply waiting for things to happen uh, in our life. Think of how many lines you've waited in, uh, how many minutes you've spent at red lights in your life, right? Or how many minutes, maybe more perniciously, you've spent stuck in traffic on I-35, at some point, right? When I lived in Austin, it was like, whenever I wanted to go somewhere, I-35 was backed up. It'd be like two o'clock in the afternoon. Why is there a traffic jam right now? I don't know. We wait for the doctor. We wait for the dentist. We wait, and I'm going to say these words with trembling and fear, at the DMV. (laughs) We have rooms dedicated to waiting. If you think about it, like there's a whole... A whole, uh, I'm sure there's some psychologist who figures out exactly the best type of room to put you in if you're waiting, right? We can't wait until we're older if we're young, and we can't wait anymore if we're old. Yet, despite the fact that waiting is like an experience that we have to undergo every day, no one really enjoys it. No one really likes waiting. Why is that? What is it about waiting that so irks us? We want the good, and we want the good right now. That's what irks us about waiting. Waiting means not having what we want immediately. To wait means, in fact, actually to always be in relation to another person, because to wait means to choose to allow another person to make the next move. Waiting means that we depend upon someone other than ourselves. You don't wait if you can do everything yourself, right? Uh, Think of the the little kid uh, who wants a drink of water. What happens? They say, I want a drink of water if they're old enough for that, or they cry, and, uh, and you figure out, moms especially have this instinctive sense of, oh, that cry means he's thirsty, That cry means he's hungry, right? And there has to be a period of waiting before the the desire is satisfied, before mom or dad can give that kid a drink. But as the child grows older, at about five or six or seven years old, they figure out there's this thing called the fridge, and it has a little water spout, and you can get a cup, and you can put it up against there, right? And you get what you need immediately, and there's no more waiting. You don't wait if... uh, if you can do something yourself. Perhaps that's why we don't like to wait, because to wait means that we depend upon another. It reveals the fact, in fact, that we need others in our lives, that we're not islands unto ourselves. In everyday waiting is revealed the fact that we need. A person, a human person, is only ever a person in relation to others. We're never isolated islands unto ourselves, brothers and sisters. Now, in the church's liturgy, Advent is a time of expectant waiting. It's a time of already, but not yet. Of course, it's a season of preparation for the feast of Christmas, but it's meant to transform us, to prepare us not only to celebrate Christ's birth historically, but to welcome him now and to prepare to welcome him when he comes again. And it's good for us each year, brothers and sisters, to have to lean into a season of waiting. While the rest of the world is already celebrating as if it were Christmas, 
in the church's liturgy, we're still waiting. And this invites us to a moment of reflection that we're going to extend through these three or these weeks of Advent. How do we wait? That's the question that we're going to uh, ask. How do we wait? It's helpful for us, especially in a society where we're losing the ability to wait. You know, whenever uh, the internet is not working, you can ask Madeline Parker in our office how I react to this, right? I hate when the internet is not quick, right? And I see some heads nodding, right? Uh, and it's, it's totally ridiculous because even in my lifetime, I can remember having to wait a long time for anything on the internet. I know for anyone under the age of about 20, um, there's just, it's like unheard of to have to wait for something to download or, or whatever. But it, what, there was a time when we had to wait. And yeah, and all of y'all are like, yeah, you're young, Father Will. It's okay. Friends, the question before us is how do we wait well? That's what we're asking. Because there's certainly a choice, right? We don't get to choose whether we wait, and we don't get to choose how long we wait, but we do get to choose how we wait. And that makes all the difference, right? Let me give you an example from my, um, my childhood. My dad is a master at creating games out of nothing. Out of nothing. We would be at a restaurant and uh, he would come up with a game that would keep us entertained between the time that we ordered the food and the time that we got the food. And it usually involved nothing more than a piece of the menu and maybe a few sugar packets. Uh, one of the, the classics was the sugar packet slide, right? So you take a sugar packet and you slide it across the table and you'd see if you could end it where it was hanging over the edge but not dropped off, right? You guys have played this game before, right? Yeah, okay. So this is, this is a, almost a lost art though because of uh, the technology that we have. We don't have to wait too many times, but we have to ask how we wait. How we wait makes a difference. That fact that my dad could do that, it made that time uh, fun. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, I'm so hungry, right? It made it fun. It made it a moment that I still remember. How we wait makes a difference, and Jesus implores us in the gospel today to wait well, to keep vigil, to be watchful as we wait. In Advent as a church, we learn to wait well by looking back at how the people of Israel longed and waited for the Messiah. We look back to the prophets to see how we ought to long for the coming of Christ. The longing of the people of Israel for the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christos, is a type, a model that prefigures the way the church, that's you and I, are meant to long for the coming of Jesus at the end of time. So how can we wait well? We might ask the question a different way today. What prevents us from waiting well throughout our life? I think the obvious answer in the context of waiting on God is simple. It's sin. Right? It's sin. It's, and sin is, is saying, God, I know what you want. I know that you might want me to wait right now, but I want what I want, and I want it right now. I don't care what you want. That's basically the attitude of sin. But it's based on a deeper kind of, um, something deeper in our hearts. Sin is always based on a refusal to trust. 
A refusal to depend on God as the one who will actually fulfill our desires. It's a refusal to trust God in the waiting. And thus to, uh, it's a refusal to place our faith in God. See, faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and trust in what he says. Right? It's a gift of God and a human act. It has two parts. Right? That God places it in our hearts, but also that we have to respond, by which we give personal adherence. Right? It can't be just everybody together, though we always profess, we always profess the faith in the context of a community. It's always a personal action when we say, I believe. That's why we start the creed with, I believe, not we believe. I believe. It's the I which comes from the we. Um, And God who invites our response, right? We give personal adherence to God who invites our response and we freely assent to the whole truth that God has revealed. Now, the struggle to place faith in God is nothing new, right? Um, All the way back in the garden, Adam and Eve's sin could be contextualized as a refusal to wait on God, a refusal to trust in God, right? They let trust in their creator die and thus turned in on themselves as a source of, uh, of, of their happiness and thus became unhappy and miserable. Every sin starts with some lack of trust in God. If we look at salvation history, we see how God repeatedly chooses what's best for his people. He loves them, in other words, and he brings them into covenant with him. And then repeatedly, over and over and over again, the people turn away from him and go to false idols. Today, in the first reading, Isaiah laments the fact that the people have lost faith in God and uh, have, are turning to idols. And these people have just been brought back by the power of God's hand from exile in Babylon. So they were in Babylon for 70 years. They get brought back and it's like the next year that the people are turning towards idolatry. Now, lest we think that we're different, brothers and sisters, this is our story too. It's just like our experience. Sometimes we refuse to wait for God to act and take things into our own hand. We don't place God, uh, we don't trust in God. Our hearts so easily go away from God and turn towards ourselves or other things because in that waiting, we don't trust him. Now, we might ask a corollary question to this, right? Why does God make us wait in the first place? If God's a good God and he wants to give us good things, why would he make us wait? Why wouldn't he just give everything all at once right now? Well, the answer is, the waiting expands our capacity to receive. The waiting expands our capacity to receive, brothers and sisters. St. Augustine puts it like this. He says, God wishes our desire to be exercised in prayer that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give. That's something, that is something very great, but we're too small and straightened to contain it. God gives us the time of waiting as a time of preparation, as a time that we're to use in order to grow our capacity to receive him by exercising trust in him. So how can we grow our faith today? How does does it work, right? How can we learn to trust God more so that we can wait well? First, 
in accord with the fact that faith is a gift of God, we ask for the gift. Just that simple act of saying, God, in the words of the the man who desired his son to be healed in the gospel, God, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer, right? It's the same type of prayer that we prayed in the psalm today when we prayed, Lord, make us turn to you and we shall see your face and be saved, right? Lord, make us turn to you. We shall, let us see your face and we shall be saved. St. Paul tells us that we're not lacking in any spiritual gift. What that means is like God is a good father who desires good things for us. And if we ask for them, he will give us an increase in faith. He will increase our trust in him and he will make us turn to him. But brothers and sisters, faith also has that human part. The turning that God wishes each of our hearts to undergo, like the turning of a pot on the potter's wheel, is challenging for the clay. And we're the clay. For the clay of our hearts to be reshaped by God, it first has to be wet by the grace of faith. But it also must be willing to be turned. The act of faith must freely be chosen. You look through the Gospels and Jesus always invites. He always calls. He always uh, reaches out. But He never coerces. He never forces. God will not force you to make an act of faith. Um, But He invites us. God gives us faith and we respond. Now those, the, the acts of faith are internal and external. The internal act of faith is to believe, right? And you can't see whether someone believes uh, inside of their head, right? So this transforms also into an external act of faith, which is to profess. That's why we say the creed every Sunday at Mass. Because it increases our faith by professing the faith. It's like exercising a muscle. We grow in the virtue of faith every time we do that. And the other part of profession is not only speaking with our words, but with our actions. Living, living as if God is trustworthy because he is, because we trust him. When we pray, when we act like God will respond, when we choose to trust based on the knowledge of what God has done for us, that he came and he died and he rose again for us, then we grow in faith and we're responding to his gift. Like muscle, faith must be used or it will atrophy. So where in your lives and mine are the daily reminders of those facts upon which we base our trust in God? Where are the daily reminders of his passion, death, and resurrection? Where are the daily reminders of the good things that God has done in your life? I want to challenge us as a parish to do something together this week. In your bulletins on your way out of Mass today, you'll find an act of faith. Um, it's, an, it's a prayer that has been part of the Catholic tradition for a long time. Some of you might have learned it when you were little in RE class. Um, uh, and it's just a very simple, short prayer. Um, and I want to encourage you uh, in your homes, with your families, to pray that act of faith each day this week. To maybe before everyone leaves at the beginning of the day or at dinner or at lunch, whenever the most people can be together, just pray that act of faith together. Um, And exercise 
the virtue so that you can grow in this virtue, so that you can wait well. Friends, we don't get to choose whether or even how long we wait, but we do get to choose how we wait. We wait because we're human, but how we wait determines whether we flourish or fail as human beings. We wait in faith. We cry out in our waiting, O Lord, make us turn to You. Let us see Your face and we shall be saved.